so I guess it's different, but also the same. Are you familiar with the uh, philosophy Theseus's ship? No. Okay. So there's an art, like this philosophical idea surrounding the idea of identity. Like when, you know, who is Matt Browse, for example, or who is Brandon Bergeron? So the thought experiment, imagine Theseus has the ship. He's going to sh- sail from Harbor A to Harbor B. And along the way, you know, a floorboard rots. You pe- peel out the floorboard and you put a new one down. And how many times does that have to happen? How much of the ship has to be replaced before it is no longer the original ship? That's the thing. You take that BJJ approach to life. You just jump in and figure it out as you go, right? Uh, throw everything at the wall, see what sticks, and pick mm-hmm. up the pieces later. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's kind of the advice I was given when I started my gym. <laughs> you, that, that's the advice that was given to you when you started your gym? A little bit, yeah. Just go for it and see what happens? Yeah. Who, who is that from? Andy Gron. Oh, yeah. He would know, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. He's one of the OGs as far as gym management and in martial arts in the air in this area mm-hmm. is that where you started are you are you an academy guy through and through i would have to say pro- mostly yes yeah. so i when i first started training jujitsu mm-hmm. i started training under this guy named nate who trained at the brooklyn center academy and then drove to eau claire wisconsin three days a week and taught monday wednesday friday there and you were in eau claire i was in chippewa falls a small yeah. town outside of eau claire mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I started training then back in April 2007, was there under him for about a year and a half or so. And then he decided that the juice wasn't worth the squeeze anymore. That that drive is long, doing that three days a week. He wasn't making yep. a lot of money with it. So That's just, a wicked drive for that frequency. I mean, it's three hours every shift, right? Yeah. An hour and a half there. Like and maybe an every other back. weekend or something, but three days a week? Yikes. Yeah, he was, uh, he was definitely putting in the time. but So he was sick of doing that after a year and a half, mm-hmm. and I... So here I am, 18 years old, trying to get an MMA career going, and my trainer was leaving. So like, oh shoot, I, I guess I have to make a decision. I either stay here and follow through with my community college plans, or mm-hmm. I pack up and head over to Minnesota so I can keep training. And I, so I came to Minnesota. And that was the original thing, MMA, huh? Yeah. I, that's why I got into jiu-jitsu, because I yep. wanted to do mixed martial arts. Right, right. Are you the classic... VHS tapes at Blockbuster, UFC 1 and 2, or what spawned your interest in, in MMA? When I was growing up, um, as a young kid, I had undiagnosed ADHD for a while, and I was a bit rambunctious in that I was a very physical child. To put it bluntly, I was kind of a bully. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily because I wanted to make kids feel bad. I just I was a, an aggressive person. I liked fighting, and I liked roughhousing. Mm-hmm. Um, after, then I got medicated for on Ritalin for a while, really calmed down, but I still had like that physical physicality to me. I played football, I did wrestling and I would see UFC, you know, probably around UFC 50, UFC 60. I was starting to watch them quite a bit, watched for a couple of years thinking, man, that looks fun. I'd like to try that. I think I could do it. I think I could maybe do well. And after I bought my own computer, then I started Googling, Hey, are there any MMA gyms around here. And that's how I got into it. That's funny. The phrase, I finally bought my own computer. How foreign that feels now. But I, I'm rough. I'm assuming, how old are you? 17 at the time. How old are you right now? 
33. Okay, so we're not too far off. I'm a little bit older than you, but I remember like getting a computer and like you finally had access to the world, the world that's in our pockets so readily now, but it's just sort of weird to think about like, oh, I got a computer and then I found the world, you know? What did we even do before yeah. computers? Probably, what, did, what did we do in our house? It probably live. We probably were just alive, more alive back then. Sat there breathing, staring at the box yeah. called the TV. Rereading the shampoo on the toilet. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Rereading the shampoo is a good way to say it. Yeah, right. Uh, so what, is that how you stumbled on Nate in Eau Claire? It was Google, yeah. Yeah. So the first phone number I pulled up was to this gym called Nuff Said Fight Club, like enough, but mm-hmm. enough. That's a cool name. It's tougher, like I guess. Yeah. Sounds cool. Um, called the number and got in contact with this guy named Steve Gibson. He was a kickboxer, taught the kickboxing classes at the same gym. After a brief conversation with him, he said that if my goal is to get into MMA, I should probably start with jujitsu and learn the ground stuff. So he gave me Nate's number and I called Nate and then, then I went and took a jujitsu class and the rest is history as they say. Yeah. Did you bail on you? So you obviously left that community college. Did you pick that up somewhere else when you came over here to Minnesota or were you all in on the, the fight training? Great question. <laughs> um, no pressure. <laughs> no, no, not. So I was originally enrolled to go to Chippewa Valley technical college, yep. but I moved away like a, a couple weeks before the semester was going to start. Mm-hmm. So I didn't do community college. I was all in an MMA for like three years until I was 20, 21. And then at 21, I finally decided that I don't think I'm going to make it that far with MMA. I'm like the small fish in the room at Brooklyn center, getting beat up by like Sean Shirk, Nick yeah. Thompson, Jacob Volkman, just all these monsters. And I remember the decision I made when I made the, when I made the decision to quit MMA was underneath Jacob Volkman getting the crap beat out of me. I was like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I still love jujitsu, but I don't know that I, I want to enter the UFC and get my head bashed in by guys who are this good. Right, right. So that's it's funny. Fr- I can relate to that processing, you know, something about bottom side control or whatever. And I can't even imagine somebody raining down elbows or whatever. And just the, the thoughts about your life that you might have. It's demoralizing. <laughs> it's so demoralizing. It's kind of scary too. When you're laying on your back, looking up at the ceiling and you see an, an aggressive grown man throwing mm-hmm. punches down on you. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and take your word for it. Fact. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I decided I wanted to be done with MMA and just focus on jujitsu. So then at that point, I was living in Minnesota, no family around, and my plan was MMA, and now that's not the plan anymore. So I'd made arrangements to actually move back home to Chippewa, and I moved in with my grandparents back in Chippewa Falls for about a year, where I re-enrolled in the initial community college that I was going to enroll in three years previously. Mm -hmm. So I did a year there at CVTC, got my first year of law enforcement training done, and then I moved back to the cities after a year uh, for a girl. <laughs> yeah. And she's my wife now. I was almost expecting that part, and, so, yeah. and I'm glad it worked out. A lot of times that's not how that story goes. Shortly, shortly before I moved back home to go to CVTC, so the tail end of my first few years here in the cities, I met uh, my wife, now my wife, a girl Sammy at the time. Mm-hmm. And so we were dating for about a month before I had to move back to Eau Claire. And after I moved back, we just, we kind of kept a long distance thing going where I would drive up one weekend, she'd drive over to me the other weekend. We did that for about a year. And then we're like, oh, I should, you know, make this easier 
maybe I'll move back up to the cities. I'll move in with her. I'll go to school up in the cities, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. It's funny, the consistency on these conversations of I moved for a girl or guy and I moved to fight. Is like the the two element two I mean and sort of duh but it's two common elements of everybody's life that ends up dragging you across the state or across state lines or whatnot. So then you're back here again. Yeah. Back to training. Yep. At the academy. Living in St. Paul, but training in Brooklyn Center Academy. Yep. Sure. And so, and then I've been with the academy ever since. Yeah. Why St. Paul? Why not land by the gym? That because um, my wife lived in St. Paul, yeah. she owned a house there. Oh yeah, very good. So I moved in with her, you know, paid some rent there, and just trekked from St. Paul to Brooklyn Center three mornings a week. Where are you at rank wise at this point? How about that? Purple belt. What? How many years in are we? Four, uh, four, five, four, five, five. You son of a gun! <laughs> Already a purple belt. <laughs> I, I think I spent two years at a white belt and two years at blue belt, then kind of the three classic, at purple. Theoretically, a classic breakdown, I would assume. Huh? Uh, two, I, two, I guess. two, and two and two. It was two, two, three, two and a half, two and three fourths, something like that. What about black belt? I've now been a black belt for uh, it'll be seven years in a month, less than a month. Okay, so you're pretty deep in, huh? Yeah. What year did you did you get black belt? Was that 2017, I want to say? Yeah, 2017. January, it was like first week in January 2017. And when did you start? April 2007. Okay. So like nine years and nine months. Yeah, yeah, like almost 10. Almost 10, yeah. yeah. So two, 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 and two roughly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All of it out of the academy, huh? With the exception of that Eau Claire sure. gym, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was academy tied anyway, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The guy who ran it was, a, right. yeah, was an academy guy. Yeah. That's actually, I've, so far with these conversations, I find that to be a little bit unusual. That people end up, just because of life, they end up bouncing around, moving around a little bit. So that's kind of cool. There's a, there's a solid legacy there. Oh, yeah. I, it is kind of cool. I guess it is maybe a little more rare than I appreciate Especially some like like guys in your era and then guys that are earlier than you who started earlier or are older, let's say. It was just an access thing early on. Like Hayden, you know, like I mean, he had to drive across the state to train, yep. you know, so that, think of the volatility that could have come up. Like he could have ended up here, there, or wherever. So, well, so... Are you talking about in terms of martial arts training or yeah. in terms of, okay. Yeah, in terms of like I joined a gym and I stayed at that gym for the next 15 years. It's just, you know, it's just not how life works out a lot of the time. So it's kind of cool. I like it. That is true. Although I, w I would say that you were saying that, you know, back then mm -hmm. could have pulled you in any different direction. But you can if you want to train martial arts back then, there was only a few directions to go, right? The, uh, yeah, this is a fair point. Yeah. yeah. There, there was only so many gyms to, right. to train at. Now you got... You can throw a rock and hit a gym. Yeah, yeah. You know? I don't you know, break the window. But, <laughs> yeah, you know. uh, yeah that, and that, and I guess I, I guess I mean the life factors are what would maybe pull you away. Like, okay, I was early at the academy or whatever, but then you know, a job change comes up, or you, you know, you meet somebody that wants to drag you to Michigan, so you end up changing gyms or whatever. Most of the conversations I've had, it's there's been some bouncing around. You know, like even Gus yesterday, I was recording again with Gus yesterday, and I mean he's trained with like seven different oh senseis just to use a goofy word like i mean you know what i mean he's he's tapped into multiple networks just because that's how it was back in the day you had to kind of bounce around and life dragged him places and stuff 
Sure. I guess now that you meant another one, I guess that year where I moved back from St. Paul to Chippewa for one year mm-hmm. to go to school, live yeah. with my grandparents, I was training at a, a gym called the Garrison, which I guess had no ties to the academy. But again, that's just a, a lack of access. Like, yeah. There wasn't an academy there. I trained with the local gym. Right, right. So I guess a little bit of that. But then, then yeah, then I moved back and I got to mm-hmm. go back with my old family, which right, is nice. Right. Is, there, is there any of those gyms still there? Do you have any contact with anybody there? Was it? So the Garrison isn't there anymore, but it, there's still another MMA gym in that same complex, uh, just kind of rebranded and um, new people. So I guess it's different, but also the same. Yeah. Are you familiar with the uh, philosophy Theseus's ship? No. Okay. But I'm in love with it. Let's go. What okay. I, yeah. <laughs> so there's an art, like this philosophical idea surrounding the idea of identity. Like when, you know, who is Matt Browse, for example, or who is Brandon Bergeron? So the thought experiment, imagine Theseus has the ship. He's going to sh- sail from Harbor A to Harbor B. And along the way, you know, a floorboard rots, you pick peel out the floorboard and you put a new one down and how many times does that have to happen how much of the ship has to be replaced before it is no longer the original ship right right i have heard of this yeah that's why i started smiling i was like okay i didn't know the name of it but i, I have heard of this yeah yeah so i and now uh, i don't remember how did we get on thesis it doesn't ship. matter we're gonna go with it but it's just like the the cells reproducing like our cells, like every, what is it, seven to 10 years at the cellular level, mm-hmm. technically we're different people, same sort of concept, right? Yeah. So I guess I'm, I'm tying it into that garrison gym mm-hmm. and that the garrison became like Ronin Fitness and yeah. might've rebranded into another gym or two. Over, like it, it's had three or four different names over the years since I started. Right. But it's always just kind of like this rebranding of like the same guys from the last gym are mostly running this current gym, but it's yeah. got a different name. Yeah. Maybe it has a different coach. Right. And over the years, just people have come, people have go. And now there's this place called Club 37 in Jiu-Jitsu, yes. which is actually run by a black belt who I who I was a white belt with back in Eau Claire thir- mm. you know, 13 years ago or 16, 17 years ago now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like still so, same guys doing it, but it's a different name. It's a different yeah. location. You, you know what I mean? I was going to say same, but different. Exactly. Right, right, right. Uh, what do you like least about jujitsu? The injuries. <laughs> Everybody went, yep, I agree with that. Yeah. The, the injuries are far and away, I think, that my least favorite part, probably everybody's. You got a few or what? Over the years, I've accumulated some. Yeah. Um, some have healed up. Some still nag. Yeah. What do you got? Um, well, I guess we'll start with big, bigger stuff. I've had three spinal surgeries. Okay. I'm familiar. I said, I've heard you or something talking about having a back thing or, or something before. Three spinal surgeries. Is yes. that what you said? Yep. Two surgeries on the lumbar spine and one surgery in the cervical spine. What and how? What? Um, probably an over-reliance on inverting and um, letting big, strong people fold me in half and just kind of being okay and chilling there because I, w- I was comfortable. Yeah, yeah, I can survive this, so I'm gonna. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then just, I spent way too much time being comfortable there, whereas really those inverted positions should be more transitional. Like you should invert and then transition, use that to transition into another attack rather than hanging out inverted. Now, like I still do hang out inverted, but I've learned to manage people's weight better. Like I'm better at framing. I'm, I'm better at knowing when I'm safe and when to bail. So I've actually gone several years now without too many back 
back issues. I've been doing a lot of working out lately, late, uh, lately that has also strengthened my back, and so I don't get as many as many back issues anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah I had two You're lumbar, more stable. two low lumbar surgeries and one neck surgery. Why the neck? Uh, the neck surgery. That was my third spine surgery. Um, the symptom was that whenever I would look up, if I would take my jawline and move it up um, beyond parallel to the floor, I would get tingling and numbness in my right arm. So if I ever wanted to look up at anything, I would get this hard bite down my right arm, this mm -hmm. kind of like electrical shock and tingling kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It was like a stenosis situation? I do have spinal stenosis okay. going on, which is a narrow, narrowing of the spinal <laughs> yeah. column. Yeah. At least that's what's in my MRIs. Yeah. Also, inversion game? presumably I do. I or remember just life, right? Pro yeah. I mean, probably life and mm -hmm. inverting in jujitsu, maybe other things with the jujitsu. I do remember that I, I competed against John Combs with that neck injury and he's known for his guillotines and he did submit me with a guillotine, but luckily no extra damage was done. But I remember when I was in that guillotine, <laughs> I was like, Oh, this, I already have a neck problem. This is mm -hmm. not good. Another one of those scenarios where you're in a really bad spot, just reflecting on life, right? Like, yeah. This isn't good. So he ended up tapping me out with that guillotine and John Combs, he's known for his guillotine. Mm -hmm. That's like his move. Mm -hmm. would, would, do you have a recommendation in terms of inversion game then? Like as a coach, given, given, okay, you've done really well with it. You're good at that kind of thing. You're, I was, I've seen you roll. You're incredibly flexible. Like at the base level, you're the guy who should invert and play that game. But then you're also the guy who caught the negative feedback. So if I'm a student and I want to do bolos and stuff, which is true, despite the appearance of things for the record, um, what, what's your thoughts there? That's a great question. My initial thought is to learn to be, you have to learn how to stabilize the inverted position. You have to learn how to support, um, support the inverted position. So when you invert, imagine you're lying on your back, you take your toes up over your head, and you're going to try to take your feet to the floor over your head, right? Okay. Um, learning to be strong with your legs in that position and making good contact with either your toes or the balls of your feet on the mat so that if somebody tries to put extra pressure on you, you can push off the floor and it's your legs and hips that are, that are um, maintaining the structure as opposed to getting all that pressure folding in on the spine. So you're pushing, you're, you're pushing against the floor, not against them necessarily. Yeah. You push yep. into them via pushing into the floor. And I'm not even really trying to push into them. I'm, yeah. I just, I let my toes hit the floor yeah. and when they try to push harder, I just make my legs strong. So it's almost like they're pushing against posts or frames. Yeah. yeah. And you're, so ma really you're making a little triangle that's well set up and they're leaning on a well-posted triangle. Or yeah, something. On, yeah. Yep. On one side of the triangle. And that's, that's, that's and that side of the triangle is really strong and it's not going to give. Um, and then it's a matter of either trying to use that inverted position to pummel arms or legs into counterattacking positions or at the bare minimum, try to pummel your feet back in between you and your partner so you can press them away with the, again, using the strength of your legs and make mm -hmm. that distance and recover your position. Do you think a fundamental problem with how people go about playing an inverted game is that they do it passively? Like you were saying, part of what led you think to some of the the back issues is just letting people, letting them do half, it, just letting them control the force. Is that the is you think that's a big thing that's missing for a lot of people that invert that they just get upside down and and you know fight their way out of it rather than controlling where they are in that position? 
Hmm. I think the problems with it come when people, the, the receiver, the person who's inverting, allows the guard passer to push into their hips. And when they push into your hips, you let your spine kind of fold. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. As opposed to imagine you plant your toes on the floor and now when they push into your hips, your, your hips don't move because they're reinforced by your straight, by your legs pushing into the floor. Okay. I, I, don't, I, I don't know if I just said the same no, thing. No, but. it doesn't matter. The more times you say it, the more chance the stupid people like me have a chance to understand it. That's that's an incredibly different perspective on that than, and than I'd, I'd I be think happy I to, have. I'd be happy to go over it with you after the podcast, too. Absolutely not. No way, bro. We're not doing that. <laughs> Saturday. <laughs> uh, tell me about how you coach. Like, you, you're running a program here. Let, let tell me about your coaching philosophy. Maybe is the we're kind of leaning in that direction specifically. So I'm not even sure I know what that means. Okay. Coach, my coaching philosophy. When you teach people jujitsu, how do you go about it? Well, we've been. Uh, I think M3 has been going through the same thing, but there's kind of a renaissance happening in mm-hmm. the way jujitsu is taught and, and coached, and really maybe martial arts in general. We used to have this old school method of, okay, I'm going to show you the way, show you what I like to do, and then you are going to replicate it and do it over and over on a partner. We Mm -hmm. call that drilling. Mm -hmm. Um, But the last several months, we've been playing with this um, new, not new, because there's academic, there's history of academic literature, but new to jujitsu, I guess, approach called this kind of ecological based approach and you're nodding so i already see you you know all about this i'm addicted to social media like everybody so yeah you see it out there yeah so now what we're doing is i put the students in a very common jujitsu position so they get exposure to that position i say okay in this position here's what person a would ideally like to happen and here's what person b would ideally like to happen let's focus on person b's perspective today for our lesson we know person B wants to accomplish this. Here are my favorite two or three ways that if I were person B, how I would go about accomplishing it. You guys can accomplish it however you like. Here's what I like to do in a couple details to help you if you want to go that way. I'm going to put some time on the clock and let you guys play with this position going back and forth and seeing if person A can do their thing and if person B can do their thing. Accomplish their task, you know. It seems like we take drilling and we add in personal preference or or necessary personal specificity, right? Yeah. And then I add in some degree of gameplay, mm-hmm. like just trying to frame it in my head. So I'm not setting aside the old school drilling necessarily, but I'm taking that and adding things to it so that there's more layers. Does that seem fair? Yes. Um, and there's also, we don't, we do very little static drilling. So, and what I mean by that is mm-hmm. drilling that's choreographed where person A is going to do this and person B, you're going to let person A do that. Yeah. Um, cause what that does is it takes out the element of having to perceive what your partner is doing and then respond to it in, a, in an appropriate way. A big thing with this method of teaching and coaching is that we have to teach the students how to continually read what's going on and then every time something within the engagement changes you've got to kind of update that read and come up with a new plan or a new idea for how you're going to accomplish your task 
And that's something that static drilling just doesn't do. It doesn't teach people how to read. It doesn't teach people how to problem solve. It just teaches people how to remember and follow steps. Um, which is really, that's not, it's not how you fight. You have to, uh, when fighting, you have to stay engaged with your opponent and what your opponent does is going to, is going to have a big impact on what you do. So I can't just say, oh, I'm going to do this technique because if my partner, you know, defends in a certain way, well, that technique's no longer viable. I've got to find a new way around. And so I'm, it's a little, it gives the student a little bit more autonomy to kind of learn how to, oh, I, you know, I was trying to do this thing, but my partner stopped me by putting their arm there. Now I've got to find a way to, to get around that arm or got to come up with a new idea. And I think it makes the, the student a better problem solver on their own. Yeah, it forces you to confront the problems that will inevitably come up when you're actually rolling live or, or competing mm-hmm. versus here's this ideal scenario that we've, to use your word, choreographed. Yeah, and, and again, it comes out, you have to respond to it. You have to confront it. Yeah. You know, you, you can't, you can't always look to the coach and be like, Hey coach, he's doing this. What should I do next? Um, I love which, doing that, <laughs> which I mean, there is a, there is a time and a place and especially for yeah. a new person. Yeah. But as you develop, ultimately it's going to be up, up to you to find the right solution for the problem that's in front of you. And that's one thing I was going to ask you is for who do you think old school drilling is best for? I mean, instinctual answer would be the absolute noob, right? Like put your foot here, put your hand here, try to do that. Yeah. And only, only for a couple reps. If anything, you know, even in the beginning, like if I'm week one and we're working on whatever, the first couple times it's going to be a piece A, piece B, piece C. But then before that class is over, that person's going to be drilling in the ecological sense is what you're saying. Yeah, we don't even. And that first, you know, like I said, a new person might it might be helpful for them to do the technique two or three times. Mm -hmm. That's something that happens. Um. I don't direct that. Basically, I just set up the games and I let people play. Mm-hmm. And what'll happen is when two students pair up, let's say an experienced person pairs up with someone, it's their first day, the experienced person will pick up on that. They'll be like, oh, this person doesn't really know. Let me show you what to do. Sure. And within this six minutes of the game, I'm going to take 30 seconds or a minute to explain and explain what's going on and let you try it and kind of yeah. see what it should feel like. Right. And now that you know what it should feel like because you've done it two or three times, now you've got to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And this might be like a, another saying the same thing again, but the thing I like about that philosophy, this ecological approach is it forces the greater context of a very specific move into the game. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my, like I need a lot of, I think I need a lot personally, a lot of old school drilling style repetition, but I also know that I stop immediately when I confront the greater context that I hadn't been thinking about. You know what I'm saying? No. Can like, you give me an example? Because maybe? exactly what you were saying is, is okay, we're drilling it this way and this way. And I've got this willing partner that's letting me practice. The second they change their response, yes. I'm shut down. And that seems to be what this like ecological approach attends to. It's like right off the bat. Okay, sure. You've got a collar grip and a sleeve grip and a foot on the hip. But also, here's a couple of the thousands of responses that are coming your way eventually. So we'll just tear the Band-Aid off and get used to that exposure, that, that greater context. I think I, that's why I was putting the emphasis on it. I think I value old school strict drilling really well. But I know for a fact that having the greater context of what could happen is what I actually need. Yeah. And it might be just guarding an old school bias or something. I'm not sure. 
That certainly could be. Certainly could be. But, um, if you, but I'm um, going back to the static drilling. Someone could theoretically learn how to deal with all the different problems, but it would take forever. Yeah. Right. It'd be like, okay, now let's look at the same move. But what happens if your partner puts their foot on the right instead of the left? Now what happens if they put their hand here? You could train, you know, you were talking about collar sleeves. So let's stay with that. Sure. Let's, we're working with a collar sleeve position. If we, we want to go through all the different possibilities yeah. of what could happen, it would take us months just to go through that. Yeah. And yeah. now yeah. much less all the other possibilities right. in jujitsu. Right. But having tapping into that pool a little bit, even early on, just seems really smart. I guess is is kind of my takeaway. Tapping into that pool, into the I'm sorry, the 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 ecology of it. Like rather than hand here, hand here, foot here, do this. Hand here, hand here, foot here, do this. Start playing some games with it and taking it ecologically, yeah. and and letting some of the dynamic responses and how that guy's going to respond versus how that guy's going to respond play a role in that early drilling. Does yeah. seem smart. It does. I, I think it. I think it turns people into independent problem solvers faster. Um, and, you, and we'll stick with collar sleeve. Sure. You could, you know, okay, you're going to hold on to the person's head with one hand. You're going to hold on to their arm with the other one, and you are going to try to use those your your two grips to pull the person's head and arm in between your two legs. And obviously, there's a lot of different ways. That could happen. There's a lot of different tactics you could use. You could do off-balancing. Your partner might throw up some creative defenses, like putting their knee in a way or whatever. But just the idea, just the idea of okay, I'm a new student. I don't know what I'm doing, but I know that I need to grab this person's head and arm and pull that between my two legs. And if I can do that, I can get to a triangle. And they'll find ways to do it. You know, people are creative. People are, especially if they're engaged. If you can get them engaged and excited to to figure out how to do it. They'll find a way to do it. So one way to, to think of it, and I'm just trying to convince my brain to understand things. One way to think of it is ecological training is an invitation to just think Explore. for yourself and be creative as you're learning this stuff. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. It's, a, it's an invitation to explore. It's also an invitation. Maybe I don't say this enough to my students, but it should be an invitation to fail too. You know, these are games we're playing. You don't have to win every single round. The idea is that you are learning through being exposed to it and through just playing, you know, uh, the same way that kids learn, they learn how to be people and learn how to live in the world through play. And we're just, what are, what are, what are we as adults, if not just large children? <laughs> I'm definitely a large child. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, I'm going to bounce back. I'm going to, I'm going to say, what was your, uh, favorite belt rank in terms of your personal experience can i say black belt yeah <laughs> yeah I, I love being a black belt <laughs> it's great having full control over what happens in most roles yeah yeah it's, it sounds awesome yeah, <laughs> as it, a guy who's never been in control of a role ever it sounds freaking amazing uh why not and, and it's belt? not that not, it's not that the belt gave yeah, me that power for obviously. sure it's just for sure but i'm sorry you said why not i said why not purple belt and I only say that because yeah. a, a huge number of people have cited purple belt. Purple belt. That was that was an interesting belt for me. That so purple belt was when I moved back home for that year, mm -hmm. and when was that when I was with the garrison? Mm -hmm. um, purple belt. I think is that when I had my first back surgery. Yeah, I think purple belt's when I had my first back surgery. <laughs> That's not good. That's not a good time. No. <laughs> um, I, I, I wouldn't say I didn't like purple belt. That's just my favorite is black. So that's my black is my answer. But to talk more about your purple belt, my purple belt days were very interesting. It's when I really developed my top game mm -hmm. for white belt and blue belt. I was almost entirely guard. And for the first little while in purple, 
I got very good at guard and, and could submit, you know, most of the le- lesser skilled people off my back. Never had had much incentive to come up on top because I'd win laying on my back. So whatever. Yeah. And then people started getting better at you know defending stuff as as I got better. So too did my partners, and I had to, and I had to um, sometimes impose top position in order to, you know, force a submission or force control. Yeah. And uh, it was a it was difficult. You have to be more assertive. You have to move forward and be willing to push and go in with your head and and things to impose top position. So it was definitely a shift. So it was a purple belt was a big belt for me. It's when I started to learn how to really get on top and pass and impose top. I didn't really get good at it until later into my brown belt, but that's when the top position really started to come together. And I think that's why a lot of people actually have cited purple because it, it tends to be this one. I kind of know some stuff. Like I'm kind of good at some things finally at purple is, is my impression. And then it's also tends to be an inflection point. Like the number of times I've heard people say I had to start playing guard. I have finally. this big hole in my game. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, you, you just fall into do, doing what's working and that's kind of a human nature thing. But then pretty soon people catch up. That's interesting that, so it's pretty common that purple belt is the time yeah. people have that um, renaissance. Huh? Yeah, Revelation. I, 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 I haven't kept stats on it or anything, but a lot of people have cited purple like, finally like no pressure was off like I, I'm kind of good at a few things I can roll with everybody and feel okay about it and but then a lot of times it was that point where they realized oh I've got stuff to learn too which developmentally seems like a key moment like you, you kind of you're kind of like oh I'm having fun I'm doing this I'm getting good but also I want to get better yeah and, I, I want to not forward. have holes in my game I want to not have these glaring weaknesses do you think do you put any strategy behind that as a coach like am I on a certain path as I train with you? And then when I get to a certain level, I kind of pivot and go this way. Is there any kind of deliberate thought behind that? Or is it just jump on in, train, find your game, expand your game? Um, the, the first way you described it would be better. If we could give a personalized, tailored, tailored approach to everybody, that would be ideal. Unfortunately, with the way gyms are set up, that's just not possible. Right. Cause we got, uh, we always have new people coming in every week. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to give each individual person a personalized lesson. And I can't start every white belt off with the perfect thing white belt should learn because, you know, we worked on that last week. Yeah. We got, right. we got to move on. Right. Right. Um, so white, sometimes white belts will come in or new people, right? Mm-hmm. Brand new people will come in and they'll have to learn something that maybe the, like, uh, you know, maybe, maybe if we were like, let's say armbar attacks, armbar attacks from mount, this person doesn't need armbar attacks from mount because they, 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 they're probably not going to be in the mount. They're never going to be a top mount. It's not going to happen. <laughs> right. Not never, but it's going to be a minute. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the downside of it. But unfortunately we just don't have the, uh, the resources or the setup, the structure to give everybody this individualized lesson plan yeah, which yeah. i think would be ideal yeah that gets to the pros and cons of like group versus individual yeah versus private lessons i, th- I think the i think the group model is better though don't you i think so like there's pros and cons well i, I mean if, if it had to be one or the other like completely binary yeah i think group classes for, for sure, sure. Yeah. um obviously a combination of the two is great yeah trying to Trying to come up with I, an extrapolated analogy. But. I think the uh, the reason the group classes are so important is because you have to roll with people of all different skill levels. 
but you want to roll with people who are good so you can see what you attain to so you can see what the what someone who's good at jujitsu can do to how how little control you have how helpless you are in that situation um but it's good to have other people who you can be competitive with and who are not gonna just be so, so good that you're outclassed and you can't learn because you know it's just it's too hard because the challenge point is too difficult it's like said it's like playing a video game for the first time on very hard you're never going to get past the first level yet that you'll get discouraged and quit for sure yeah right um so the group classes are very good for giving a wide variety of different experience levels um and just and so you get comfortable training with different people so you learn how to train with people who are smaller than you you learn how to train with people who are bigger than you yeah that's a that's an odd thing most of my roles are with people who are smaller than me, mm-hmm. at least lighter. Yep. Uh, so when I circle back around for the day against, you know, another bigger dude, you, it's like a, it's like a nervous system attack, that contrast. And this is a, a like size body, you know, another 300 pounder or whatever. But you say a nervous system attack? It's like an attack on my nervous system when I finally go to a my size roll. Like if my first four or five rolls in a day are, I'm going to offend a bunch of people, a small 180-pound dude or something. Okay. <laughs> it's all relative, right? Oh, yeah. Th- those tiny people. Yeah, or <laughs> even like the small, fast guys to then go hook up with my buddy Nick and roll. And this is like 600 pounds of human being here between the two of us. That is such a shock when I finally come back around to the guys I should be rolling with, right? But there's just two of them in the room. Right, there's right? not enough. Yeah. And to your point about the variety of the shapes and sizes and speeds of bodies, you can't beat that in the in the group sense. Yeah, I, I try to I go two, two, and two. Two lower rolls, two even rolls, and two upper rolls. So two black belts, two like purple blues, whatever, and then two white belts where sounds, I get a chance to try to do offense. That sounds methodical. I like it. It sounds well thought out. It sort of depends on, you know, who who averts their gaze <laughs> from your gaze or whatever, you know. But it, 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 it's like seems like the best way to like maximize the usefulness of the fact that here we all are as a group, a diverse group of bodies. Yeah. I yeah, and for that reason I think group classes are are better than only doing privates. Have you ever only done privates with a student? No. No. In well, fact, you wouldn't, I, it sounds like, huh? Um, well, right now I'm not even really doing privates. I have sure. had some people uh, ask me to do privates, but I, I, you know, I just I value my time, I guess. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, we can I, do it in class. Why do we need to do it yeah. after class? Yeah. So, so that's kind of what I tell them is like, hey, if you got any questions, just you know, after class, bows out. We have open mat. Ask me during open mat. I'll, yeah. I'll answer any questions you want. Yeah, let me save you the money. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like you, we're here. Uh, it'll be free. You know, just come right. up, ask me questions. I will gladly give you my thoughts on For any sure. position that you have. Um, but I just don't necessarily want to take an hour out of my day um, to to be here. And I mean, I already do jujitsu so much. Yeah, right? yeah, I do so right. much of it that I, I do. I feel like I do enough of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> what are your jujitsu goals currently? Not business. I'm going to ask you that. Okay. Just jujitsu. Just jujitsu goals. Um, I would like to get my leg lock defense better. I think it's already I mean, probably pretty good, but I, I don't have a lot of training partners who are high-level leg lockers. Um, so I would like to run into more people who can threaten my legs more and 
just so I can test my defense, so I know where my defense lands. One of the last times I was submitted in competition was a leg lock, uh, Kieran Kachuk, with an inside heel hook. Um, so that eats at me. In training once in a while, I will get caught in front headlock stuff, guillotines, darces, anacondas. So I'm working on um, my defenses to those, which I have done. Um, for the last few months, I've been focusing on that, and it's I, I've been getting a lot better getting out of those guys who used to be able to catch me in anacondas and darces. Um, well, now say, if, you know, I, I can't get him anymore. <laughs> like that was the one thing he could get on me and now he can't get that. Sure, and sure, yeah. So, and then always perpetually working on my wrestling because that's that was a weakness in my game for many, many years, my takedown game. That's getting to be a pretty strong point for me too. You wrestled in high school, didn't you? I did. And that ended up being a weakness, huh? I it mean, did. if you stop sharpening a blade, I guess, right? Yeah, so... Um, Wrestling's all about imposing top position. And we talked about how I didn't get that to a purple belt. And here's, I think this is why, because when I joined jujitsu, I was a high school kid, not big, not small, but not big. And I was training with grown men. I was weak, right? Much weak, 17 year olds, 17 years old versus like 25, 30 year old men. I just had a huge strength disadvantage. I could, it was hard for me to be on top. It was hard for me to impose top position. And it was a lot of work, like to, Take somebody down who's bigger and stronger than you and try to stay on top. That's a lot of physical effort. It was much easier for me to let them come to me and, and lay down, and let them come up on top. And they didn't have the knowledge and experience to avoid the arm bars and the triangles from guard. So I would just win there. And so I really lost my wrestling ability because I became so comfortable going to my back that like, that almost became, I wanted to be on my back. I'd go into tournaments and I'd pull a guard and pull guys on top of me. Okay. There again, uh, sort of a citation of what is my environment you mm -hmm. know what i mean mm -hmm. getting sort of to the ecological thing like okay this is my intention right now but guess what the current situation is such that this is the response i actually need to have not necessarily what i maybe would have otherwise had i think that was very well said exactly <laughs> i appreciate that <laughs> i was losing track of it as i was going but you're right it's the, the the environment i guess i never thought about that but yeah the environment kind of molded my game right yeah <laughs> Like, yeah, if you're surrounded by a bunch of big, strong dudes, to, to rephrase briefly what you just said, you're going to have to find a way to, to feel successful on any given day. And it probably isn't going to be double legs and smashing from the top. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty interesting. To touch on this a little bit, because we, we brought it back to the ecological idea again, I think one of the things, one of the terms you're looking for that very commonly thrown around in this world is affordances. Um, each person has their own unique affordances. Like I've got a different kind of flexibility than you. So, um, uh, I, I might have an option of pummeling my foot into a position that you don't have. It's definitely true. I can't pummel for crap with my legs. I got no mobility that way. So yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Right. So no, that's, <laughs> but so you have a very different set of affordances right. than I have. Um, and so like this ecological approach, we are trying to put people into a position, give them a basic task and then based on their own affordances, they have to figure out what will work for them and their body type and their personality. And um, so because I was a 17 year old kid in a room full of grown men, my affordance was to learn how to be good from underneath of them. Cause you didn't have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, I think that was also shaped actually, now that I'm thinking about it, two months into my jujitsu journey, do you remember knee wrestling? No one ever does this anymore, but so, um, 
we would want we'd want to fight for top position in jiu-jitsu like back when i started 2007 want to fight for top position but work working takedowns was dangerous because the falling body weight aspect like your, your body weight comes crashing down that just heightens the risk of injury mm-hmm. so what everyone would always do is they'd walk around on their knees and they'd wrestle but they'd do so from their knees which i think is silly looking back on it because that is not <laughs> That's not how you're going to defend yourself in the street. That's not how you're going to fight in a match. You're never going to be fighting that situation. You're way less mobile than you would be on your feet, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's just different. Like you're trying, you're trying to mimic wrestling without the risk of injury as much. Yeah. But it, but it's different. It's different enough that it doesn't really make mimic wrestling. Yeah. You know what I mean? Was this this was a real thing in gyms at some? point? Oh yeah. Oh, interesting. Oh yeah, very common. Um, I I think it's fallen out of fashion because people realize that it's kind of a waste of time because yeah. we don't fight from that position. Right, right. But it was a kind of a way for people to wrestle, um, but try to take away the the injuries of takedowns. Right. Or also maybe there's a lot of people in class, yeah, and you just need to stay confined to a smaller space yes. and the limited mobility of wrestling from the knees. So people could still fight for top position, but they could do do so in a smaller space with less risk of injury. Anyway, <laughs> so I'm knee wrestling with this guy <laughs> two months into jujitsu. Yeah. And I got turned over and I got dumped down to the point of my shoulder and I separated my shoulder um, three weeks before my first MMA fight. <laughs> That's another common theme in these conversations is everybody's set up for their first tournament and they take an injury like literally week of or the two weeks before. Well, and a separated shoulder, like AC joint separation. Yes. Yeah, that's a bummer, man. Still fought, still won. Okay, all right. But it happened on 4th of July, because I remember I went home and tried to light off bottle rockets, but I could only hold my hands so high as I tried to to hold them out of my fingers and let them fly out of my fingers. (laughs) I specifically remember, like, I want to raise this higher, but I can't. So so you actually did some MMA fights then, huh? How many? 17. 17? Yes. How do we glaze over that? Because because it was 12, 13 years ago. It's it's ancient history. (laughs) Yeah, touche, but also a giant slice of history. Tell me about the first one. Yeah, um, well, it was three weeks after my first shoulder separation. (laughs) 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 Um, What do you want to know? No, I mean, who who was it? When was it? Where was it? Like, you want me to paint the picture, tell the story? All right, let's go. Uh, It was in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. I was 17 years old at the time, but in summer between my junior year and senior year of high school, my opponent, somewhere in his 20s, he was like a kickboxer, mainly a striker, and it was in a boxing ring, so not a cage, but a ring, and I remember walking out to the cage, like I felt warming up for the fight, walking out to the to the ring, I felt good, felt confident, um, but I remember standing in the corner seeing the crowd around me, looking across, seeing this pissed off looking grown man. <laughs> and then just, just the, the announcement, you know, Brandon Bergeron in this corner, Jared Pol- you know, Holden or Bolton in this corner and crowds wild. The referee's like, are you ready? And I just remember this kind of overwhelming fear of like, what the fuck am I doing here? Why am I up here? What am I doing? What am I getting? What have I gotten myself into? I can't yeah. back out now. Oh my gosh. Yeah, seems right. <laughs> so the fight starts. We close the distance. I have no striking experience at this point, no training in striking, but I got my hands, hands up like down a, here in your pockets. <laughs> Almost. My hands yeah. are up where they should be. Oh, I just okay. don't know what to do with them. Right. All right. Well, <laughs> get them up here. Seems like a good first step. I eat two hard shots, like mm. just like a strong one, two combination. My head's getting, gets rattled around to the side. This is before I lost my wrestling instincts. My wrestling instincts were still there. They haven't mm-hmm. been beaten out of me yet. Cause mm-hmm. it's only, I've only been training jujitsu three months at this point. Sure. Um, 
So I take that second shot. I'm just like, oh shit, I, you know, I need to grab him. So I shoot on a double, take him down with a double leg. And uh, so now I'm on top, kind of go out of the ropes, get reset back in the middle. I think I mount, throw some punches. He takes, turns his back, th- throw up a few punches. I think we ended up in mount again, then back again. And I eventually threw on a rear naked choke. Oh, you won with a choke. Huh? Yeah, rear naked choke from back control. Um, kind of that, that's the story of my first two fights, actually, which is essentially I come in, I take the down, take the guy down and do some ground and pound. And then first guy got a rear naked choke, second guy submitted to strikes. But it was like, take him down, get on top and ground and pound. Because I, I was still in my wrestling background. Yeah, and yeah, I was still a yeah. good wrestler at that point. Seems like at the entry level, if you will, submitting to strikes is probably a pretty common thing. Like you finally get in the ring, it's your first or second fight, and somebody's on top of you raining them down. I could, as, I could see the instinct to say, fuck it. As we mentioned in the... Uh, yeah. Uh, earlier in this conversation, I talked about how kind of frightening it is to be on your back looking yeah. at the lights with this guy over, towering over you, throwing punches. Yikes. It's frightening. Um, yeah. And this guy, I think, he tapped his strikes, but he was belly down. I had back control and I had him flattened out on his stomach. So I, was, uh, I went over the arms. He'd bring his arms up, and then I'd punch under the arms, like under the armpit, catching him in the mm-hmm. jaw mm-hmm. and going over and under. And I took that from watching my first fight. My first fight, when I got on top and did ground and pound, my arms were like... I, I looked like one of those wacky, you know, wave, wacky waving arm, inflatable, arm flailing, flailing two mans. Yeah. My arms are out there flailing around. I'm hitting. Or like Ralphie in Christmas Story, just yeah. flailing the hands. Yeah. Yep, yeah. basically. And it's all these rabid punches because I'm mm-hmm. trying to hit them so fast because I watch these guys in MMA and it's, you know, when I watch them on TV, I'm just boom, 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 yeah. so fast. Yeah. So I'm trying to like punch this guy out as fast <laughs> as I can. But unfortunately, the punches don't have power. Yeah, yeah. Right? They're moving fast because they're good at it. Yeah. <laughs> so my second fight, I remember I really slowed down. I had back control. I had top control. And I like, I took my, I timed it. I'm like, I'm like oh, where, where's my shot? Boom. And I, you know, it was much harder. Sure. Like, I, yeah, I got yeah. better at slowing down and getting power in my punches. Yeah. And that, that was the guy that met and tapped to the punches. I bet. <laughs> he was belly down. He couldn't even see where the punches were coming from because he's looking away from me into the floor. Right? So they both went belly down? Um... You think you say he turned he turned turned around on you in the first fight too? He did, but in that one, I think I ended up in more of a traditional back control yeah, seat belt. Yeah. We're on our side, sure. Um, but this guy, um, he belly down, and then I, I had hooks, and I just kind of hipped in and flattened him out. Yeah. And I was able to stay, you know, both of us mm-hmm. facing the floor. So mm-hmm. he's buried face first in the mat and the yeah. floor, just, just eating punches. Open season on the rib cage at that point, if you want. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I think maybe I did one rib, but it was mostly head. I was going yeah, for yeah. head hunting. I didn't know, and I didn't. I wasn't savvy well, enough or strategical mm-hmm. enough to think about body shots at that point. I'm a 17 yeah. year old kid. I just had a bunch of, you know, teenage angst. Yeah, yeah. They're both 20 something year old guys. That's kind of cool. Yeah, beating up on the on the the real grown adults. Ups. Yeah, yeah it did. I, it did feel pretty empowering. I'm not gonna lie. I bet, yeah, especially when when your first impression is like, oh, you're good. Look at this dude over here, grown ass angry man, like you said, and then you get to beat him. That's kind of fun. That felt. Yeah, it was like the fear I felt before the moment before the first fight started contrasted against like just this I don't even know how to I don't know how to describe it. Just this all empowering feeling after he, you know, taps out to the choke and now I'm standing in this ring victorious over this grown man, cr- big crowd cheering for the fight. Very empowering feeling and that probably kept me coming back. It's called winning. Yeah, right? Yeah. Isn't that nice? <laughs> That's what that is. What's your, what's your favorite uh, MMA fight memory or most exciting MMA fight? I, th- I really liked my fight with Courtney Buck because 
it was a really I thought I did a really good job displaying my jujitsu in that fight. I mean I had other I had other fights with good jujitsu. Mike Plazola, I had some good jujitsu in that fight. Um uh, so Mike Mike Plazola, I remember I took a few shots, ended up on my back, and then just from the guard I was going after um arm bars and triangles and arm bars and he, he he backed out of my guard at one point and then he made the mistake of coming back in like he's like oh, i'm gonna impose top position again he came back and i i got him with a triangle but there was a moment where if, that he had to if he stood that fight back up and just backed out i, I didn't want to stand with that guy <laughs> he, yeah. he hit hard <laughs> yeah yeah he stepped in back into your game though huh? yeah thankfully and then courtney buck um i did not want to strike with him i don't know if you know who he is he no. fought in the wbc for a little bit mm. Um, was not a good grappler, but had, had power. Yeah. He would just come out swinging. He was a long, lanky guy and had power. He'd knocked out a lot of dudes and I was afraid of standing with him because my striking was not very good. Mm -hmm. So I was able to close the distance. And I think I actually more, mostly pulled guard. I got to like a body lock. I was just like, I'm not going to let go. We're going to the ground one way or another. Right. And I think like I was trying to take him down, but I lost my footing. And as I was losing my footing, Rather than letting go and regetting my base and staying on the feet, I'm like, I'd, I'd rather have him on top of me than me standing with him. And I was able to pull him on top of me. I think I swept him. Um, we went back and forth a little bit, but I got mount, throwing punches, finally submitted him with an arm bar. He bridged me over to guard, and I armbarred him from guard. But it was a really nice display of jujitsu. It's up on YouTube somewhere, I think. Oh, yeah. 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 Are you competing in jiu-jitsu tournaments in, during the MMA years? Yes. Yeah? Yep. Absolutely. How many, how many times have you competed in jiu-jitsu? Guess. Yeah. I don't know. Guess. When you say how many times, how many matches, how many tournaments? How, how many, many tournaments? Let's do that. Yeah. Like a hundred or more? Not a hundred tournaments, yeah. no. Um, That'd be a lot. Let's imagine, for just for best guess, let's say... Four or five per year for maybe 10 years. Yeah. So maybe like 50. It's a lot of matches. Yeah. I've, I've got like um, 78 medals maybe. Mm -hmm. 78 medals and a few <laughs> championship belts. And yeah, yeah. Best match? Most memorable match? Most exciting match? Match you got your ass handed to you the most. Oh, in. okay, How okay. That? How about that? Yeah, okay. That's good. Dante Leon <laughs> fucked me up several times. Um, you know, you know Dante Leon. I'm, I'm sure. trying to. I'm so bad with names. That's okay. He's um, he might be the number two. I think right now he might. I think he might be number two pound for pound. Number two or three ranked pound for pound. I think. No big deal. Um, <laughs> but he's this powerhouse of a Canadian guy. Uh, he used to post videos of him lifting a lot he would deadlift like crazy amounts of yeah. weight squat crazy amounts of yeah. weight and he was so good um i think he beat me four times first time i just lost to points he didn't submit me but it was it was ugly it was like 30 something to zero or something at, at some point points are a submission right? yeah no like, kidding like where's the line where this technically counts as a submission <laughs> And then three more matches, and I think he submitted me in those ones. I, at that point, I was probably a little more mentally defeated, too. Like, mm -hmm. I just had no hope of beating this guy. Mm -hmm. and yeah, that is a deep hole to climb out of 30-odd last time, and now i got to fight him again. Yeah, I think I had to fight him three times in the same weekend, and it was that, that weekend. It was None of them went my way. Even, oh, really? Not even came three close. Three in one weekend? 
I'd, at I'd least quit the sport entirely. I think after it was gi, no gi, and one of the absolutes, oh, maybe. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was so embarrassed. And then I think I I think I went against him one more time at another tournament where again he's just smoked me. Um, and the thing about that, that's one of the wild things about like higher-ish level jujitsu is you're fucking good at jujitsu. I like to think I am like sometimes. You're, you're, but... I mean, it's like I mean, a, within reason, a black belt is a wizard particularly paired up with the with the right gomer douchebag you know what i mean right but like in and amongst their peers you just watch the wizardry and then you watch somebody come into town and line up with a guy that just tosses you around the room all the time and then just tosses that guy around the room it's wild how deep it runs i i thought i was good at jujitsu bad i did well you are that's the thing but then you realize oh my god that next level or whatever this happened to me and this was when i was a brown belt and there's part of me likes to think, oh, you know, I've, I've really developed a lot as a black belt, and I have. Um, so th- that won't happen to me again. But just a year ago, a year and some change, the Twin Cities had an IBJJF open here. And a Brazilian, you know, some Brazilian came up and beat me like 30 to 0. Passed my guard a ton. I, guard retention is like one of the strongest parts of my game. Yes. Is not getting my guard passed. Mm-hmm. I don't know how and what this guy was doing, but he passed my guard so many times and like without effort and the way he held me he was doing it not with strength but with he, he he was moving to the right positions and moving around all my frames so it wasn't that he overpowered me he was just so clean and technical his movement was so good just a half a step ahead of the whole time the whole match did he did he have matches with ethan too at that one i don't i don't remember this guy's name yeah neither do i but i remember there being a guy that all of us were kind of starting to pay attention to because it was it was wild to watch. It might be. I, God, I feel so embarrassed after matches like that. I just want to go and hide my face and <laughs> don't don't look at me. But keep in mind, again, you like you take. It's one of those things. You take that guy out of the room, you're probably top dog or close. You know what I'm saying? Maybe. And not not getting particular and putting rankings together, but like there's always some guy looking to walk in the room and disrupt the order of operations. You know, <laughs> I think he's just one of those. I, I bet it was the same guy because that was wild to watch. What did you do to Ethan? Same thing. Okay. Ethan's like, Ethan's good too. Ethan's I, a fucking nightmare, dude. And it was it was like watching me roll with somebody that's good with jujitsu almost. Like his facial expressions seemed different. His movements seemed different. It's like is everything okay? And you just realize no, this guy here is just a different level. Like just like what you're saying about the, these guys. Like there's just a different level out there. It's terrifying. It's crazy how deep it goes. I, I so badly want to get on that level. I've been I've been trying for sixteen years. I'm, I'm still working on it. Mm-hmm. Still trying to get better. Maybe one day. <laughs> Says a two stripe black belt. Still working on it. Uh, it's either motivational or discouraging. I'm not sure. Well, that's up to you. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, still actively competing in the jujitsu, though, right? When's the last time? Um, I have actually. I'm just coming off a fairly big hiatus. That. IBJJF Twin Cities that was over a year ago was almost the last tournament I did. Um, except I did one just last weekend. A really small local grappling industry is just to knock the rust off because I want to mm-hmm. maybe get back into tournaments. And I hadn't competed in, in over a year. So I just I tried registering for the absolute and the expert divisions just to feel what it was like to be on competition mats again right. before I do the sub-spectrum that's coming up in February in Iowa. Oh, which will okay. be that'll that'll have some tougher matches nice. in it. Yeah, it's a good show too. Yeah, I like I like what Jordan's doing down there with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, how'd it go? The grappling industries. Um, 
about what you'd expect after a year and a half? It, it was underwhelming. I had a, I only had one match. Mm-hmm. Like I signed up for a few divisions, but I only ended up having one match in the Masters Absolute Division. Like there was like eight guys signed up, or seven or eight, and only like three showed. Ugh. So I got to compete against the winner. I got a bye to the finals, essentially. I, mm-hmm. I, t- I, I was supposed to have three rounds. Yeah. My first two rounds ended up being buys, so I just had the finals. Uh, it's it frustrating. Was, yeah, it was, the, it was a, I think, a blue belt from 10th Planet. Mm-hmm. Um, he pulled guard. I passed. He recovered. I passed again. Mounted arm bar. It was like a minute, five seconds. Mm. Sounds familiar. It was, you know, it was not, not from the winner perspective. It sounds like <laughs> sounds like my roles. <laughs> so I mean, I mean, it went my way. It was, yeah. it was good to move again and everything. It, yeah, yeah. Just you know, get used to waiting for your name to to get called and keeping yeah. your eye on the monitor and walking out to the like just getting that space again. Yeah, yeah. Because it had been a while, and I want to, you know, ease back into it for sure. For especially sure. with as many injuries as, I, as I've had. This I mean, is this is maybe something you wouldn't know. Do we know of upcoming IBJJF stuff in the area? Not in the area. Kind of like 2019 and then like 2021 in Twin Cities. Yeah. Seems a little was it 2021 or was it 2022? I think you're right, 2022. Yeah, okay. I was going to say, was it an extra year? But yeah, um, that I don't think anything's coming up as far as I know. It's kind of a bummer. But I'm easing back into competition. I, I want to get more active because when I train in the gym, um, like with my training partners at the academy, I always, I always do really well. Like I don't. I don't have a lot of training partners who will make me have to like defend anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's good practice, good training, but that you need somebody to push you in a certain department here and there. Yeah. It's a different room. I want to know where my weaknesses are and I don't, none of my training partners are able to find them or expose them. Yeah. So the way I'm thinking about it, my mindset, my mindset toward competition has shifted. It used to be that, Oh, I want to go and win and be the best. And I want to become a world champion. Mm -hmm you know, build my brand, everything else. And doing that, I, I, you know, wrecked my body because I'm pushing hard and I'm trying to work really hard. I end up getting back surgeries and, I, and other injuries that we didn't touch on. We were going to touch on injuries, but then oh, like, yeah, we, yeah. we went on. It's all good. But, um, so now I'm at a point where I'm like, okay, I'm rather than like trying to be the best, I'm just going to go compete as a means of trying to find tough training. Cause I, I don't get those tough rounds in my home gym. So I'm just going to treat competitions like mm-hmm. my tough training days mm-hmm. and you know, whatever happens will happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually, that's, that's funny. The weird parallels you find. That's how I approached strongman training back in the day. I competed in strongman competitions. That was kind of my, my out of high school competitive element. Mm. Uh, and you, you do these event training days where you're dragging shit down the street and carrying something back and all this kind of stuff. But <laughs> at the time there was so many, competitions locally in the twin cities and then you know you go to des moines or something there was just this weird like almost renaissance period of people really getting into that sport so we would just we competed like 19 times one year holy smokes just go because and we were actually me and this little training crew we had we were 14 times maybe we were pretty advanced pretty good in terms of like in terms of just plain old strong, we were all pretty good. And it's just a matter of dialing in technique and speed and getting the fast events done faster. So a huge part of our training for two years was just going and doing every fucking tournament we could come up with. And it was, it was good because it was always faster. You know, we could do volume 
every Saturday for three and a half, five and a half hours of training. We could do that, but that it's the circumstances, the getting to the environment again, like you're saying with going to that grappling industries and just waiting for your name to be called and it warmed up at the right time. Like, you know, you gotta, you gotta sharpen in a competitive sense. And we sort of did that same thing where it was like, okay, let's, let's train for speed when speed counts. Let's go do as many tournaments as we can. It was the same exact idea. We can lift weights at home or we can go, you know, pull those fire trucks with those guys this weekend and get better that way. I mean, you can't hardly beat that as a, as a philosophy. I don't think. Can't hardly beat. What is a philosophy exactly? Of compete more. Oh yeah. Fundamentally that, like you want to get better at the sport, compete more. Yeah. I'm never going to compete in jujitsu, but I, I understand that that's absolutely the truth of it. You know? Why? Why wouldn't you? I don't have any desire to. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's the best response to that I've gotten on here. Normally, people are like, "No, man, let me tell you." Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you do what you want to do. Exactly. Like, yeah. if, you know, if some people want to be champions, and some people want to just be in good shape. Yeah, you know? learn how to do some jujitsu here. And yeah, there, have some fun. Have that skill if you ever need it. And mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, that's one thing is um, I don't push my students to compete. I know some coaches will, you know, some, especially like they're good students. The coaches will find their good students. But dude, you should do the next tournament. I think you do really well. You're going to make me look good, baby. Maybe, yeah. right? <laughs> I, um, I really try to take a, um, an approach where it's like, hey, like, hey, coach, do you think I should compete? Well, if you want to, you know. Yeah. If you want to compete, yes, I'd, I'd love to have you com- I love competitors. I'm a competitor myself. I'd love to go coach and help you and help you prepare. But, you know, if you're like the person who's like, hey, I don't want to, I don't really want to compete. Well, great. Come in, do class, get a good workout in, build the skill, have fun, meet people. And I really don't try to push one way or the other because I feel like that uh, if, if you forced or if you really push somebody to, to do something they don't want to do, that might make them not like jujitsu. Yeah. as much anymore you know friction into it there's, yeah there, there's no negative feedback in the equation in my opinion right yeah why yeah. why bring in friction when there doesn't need to be right. Right. i mean i guess friction could be a catalyst for growth right sure, sure. so there's as that the, quite literally competing is going to be a catalyst for growth but like also you're an adult yeah and, and maybe that's not your goal maybe you yeah. don't want to be a champion fine yeah that's that's your call you don't have to be. I'm sure you've. I'm sure you've got other great aspects of your life—a good family, a good job, or whatever. They, right. You know. Right. I just want to be able to hold somebody in half guard or Z guard. Mm-hmm. That's all I want to do. I, I don't. And you know, maybe some people are like, "Well, I don't want to have to learn the ins and outs of points and advantages and legal and illegal things." And oh, that's legit. You know, yeah. the times I got my fingers in the pant leg. Yeah, and then and the ref <laughs> come and slaps your hand. I don't need that in my life. Just let me have the grip I got. Yeah. <laughs> one of the guys, Oleg or something, I think it was Oleg, one of our black belts, came up the other day. He was like, hold on, Matt, this is illegal grip. I said, I don't give a shit. That's the grip I got. I got Dave Scora here sticking his finger in my ear. I'm just trying to survive this. Let me have my grip. I care about IBJJF rules. Yeah, I when I train, I, I don't really take... Um, the rules of any specific organization into account. I'm just training, you yeah. know, control a person in a way that leads to submission. Even if it's a heel hook in the gi. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. Adapt to the rules later. Yeah. Learn jujitsu now. Adapt. Yes. Right. I'm just doing jujitsu. And then when I do a tournament, okay, I'll just, I'll just fit within those rules. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll not use certain techniques or I, you know, whatever. I always wonder about that when people do like they've been fighting MMA, but they're doing like a Muay Thai tournament. You just kind of 
brain turns off and they take a guy down. <laughs> I'm sure that guy. happens. I guarantee it happens. I, it would happen to me. I'd be, I'm such a meathead brain. I would have my own little blind spots and fall into old habits. I would probably do it just to get five seconds of, of yeah. re- reprieve of right. not getting punched. <laughs> I know I can't do this, but at least this will give me five seconds to reset and get my breath and you know shake the cobwebs out. You can always apologize. No big deal. Um, one of the last things I tend to ask people on here is uh, broken down by belt, how they frame their advice. So if you're sitting across from a white belt and you're going to give them advice in like the broadest sense, and then if you're sitting down with a blue belt and then a purple, okay. like at those different stages, what is your elevator pitch for how to go about jujitsu? <sighs> you know, I don't know if I have a good answer for every belt. Um, white belt is easy. You know, focus on escapes, right? Um, you're going to have to learn what the submissions are and trust me, you'll learn what they are. <laughs> People will put them in you or put you in them and mm-hmm. you will learn the various chokes and the various arm locks and maybe even some leg locks as a white belt. And then your job is to figure out what they need to do or what they want to do or need to do to submit you. And then don't let them do that. You know, they need to straighten the arm. Will you keep the arm bent? Um, you just described the whole of jujitsu right there (laughs) in a nutshell. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. And it's just jujitsu is just different versions of that and different yeah. levels of com- complexity yeah, <laughs> yeah over and over and over for the rest of your life <laughs> enjoy um but white belt yeah so learn the submissions and then learn how to stop them from putting the submissions on and then learn how to get out of bad positions right get learn how to get out of mount and side control and back control because um until you can regularly fight back to neutral positions and keep those neutral positions Jiu-jitsu will not really be fun. Um, it's as long as you are the one being completely controlled and you have no say in what's going on. Jiu-jitsu is really tough. Um, after escapes, again, white belt. Your your next job is to learn how to retain your guard. Um, I think, learn how to keep the person off you. Learn how to not let them hold their chest down in your chest. So escapes and guard retention are the number one thing I always tell white belts to focus on. So be aware of damage and try your best to prevent damage. Yeah. Learn what the other guy wants to do and then Mm -hmm. don't let them do that. Take that away. Find ways to not let that happen. Um, And and then when it does happen, like like a side control, you know, a caveat to that is I feel like guard retention is that. Guard retention is right. Like know what they want to do, get chest to chest, and don't let them do that. That's guard retention. I feel like escapes is a little bit different. Um, cause you have to, it can't just be stop them from doing what they want to do. You have to actively do something to get back to a position of neutrality. Right. You have to do the work. Mm. Um, but again, that's probably the most important skill to learn. Cause once you get good at escapes and guard retention, jujitsu becomes a lot more fun because now you can hold a neutral position. You're not being crushed and held down and pinned. You can move, you can breathe, you have space. Even if you're not sweeping the person getting on top a lot, at least you're not, you know, claustrophobic. Yeah. You have a vote in your own suffering. At yeah. That point. Yeah. Um, so that's what I would say for white belts, blue belts, um, going around that same path. And this is kind of the route I went to get, you know, good at guard, get good at holding guard, maintaining guard, and then learn how to use guard to off balance and knock your partner over. Um, so that you have a hope of getting on top one day. Yeah. 
or even to a knee or even up to a knee and get some points out of the deal. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, and the guard is probably, it is the most diverse position in jujitsu, right? There's the most variations of guard. It's the, it is the deepest part of jujitsu. If you're going to go down a jujitsu rabbit hole in terms of like, Oh, attacks from mount escapes from this position, whatever guard, both playing open guard on bottom and probably passing on top as a close second, I think have the deepest um, variability and different things that can happen. Just so many options. So blue belt, just have fun exploring a lot of the different guards, daily heva, reverse daily heva, collar sleeve, spider guard, lasso guard, X guard, ashigurami, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, pick up everything. Blue belt is about, you know, soaking up as many things as you can and then we'll later on you'll kind of weed out pick and choose what you like purple belt hmm. what advice would i give myself don't have surgeries yeah don't, don't get hurt so you need surgeries <laughs> no kidding um again following the same line I, and what i did is as a purple belt i guess i got better at top position I started learning how to pass guard and stay on top because as a blue belt, you spend your time learning guards and how to knock the person down. So now that you can actually knock this person down and get on top, now you have to learn what to do when you're on top. So you're going to learn how to pass the guard. You're going to learn how to start setting up submissions from, um, you know, mount and side control and back control. Still not probably going to be very good at it yet, but you're learning. You're starting down that road. Um, yeah, purple belt, top position, submissions. Brown belt is more more top positions and more submissions, I would say. Just keep refining and sharpening the sword of top position. Not, not a lot changes, to be honest, I think, after purple belt. I think uh, what I should say is there are not a lot of new techniques you're going to learn after purple belt. You kind of know jujitsu, so to speak, at purple belt. It's just a matter of getting better. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the way to say it. Um, so brown belt's really just sharpening the sword. Um, black belt is about diving into the smallest little details, right? Your time at black, I mean, I don't know if I would give advice to a black belt. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a, I'm a peer at this point, but you're You're also far enough in, you've had some reps, you know, but but you asked me for each belt. So I guess I'll, I'll give it right. Um, black belt, a newer black belt. Um, Yeah, just keep focusing on the small little details that are going to make the difference, that are going to be the deciding factor into whether or not you succeed or fail at any given movement or any given task. And I'm still, you know, six, seven years into black belt, I'm still finding new little things. Um, Just watching your roles yesterday, you can tell that that's where your mindset is. Because, I mean, there was, you know, obviously accomplished grapplers in that room and then some lower level people and some smaller people and whatever every role of yours started with you essentially letting them move in three or four steps Mm. and then you started grappling yeah like you were just laying there more or less letting them they're like okay cool put that knee down oh look at that i'm gonna get there get there you could tell you were waiting until a certain point of being disadvantaged especially with a couple of the lower level grapplers who were there and then you started going you were deliberately setting up 
disadvantageous positions to probably, you know, work and find those small details, I suppose. Yeah. I also do that just to, I mean, depending on who I'm training with to make it more palatable for them, mm-hmm. more fun for them. Mm-hmm. If I, if I just impose my will on, you know, yeah. everybody, they're not going to want to train with. In fact, that has become a problem uh, with some, you know, some people. That's why I hesitated to aim my camera at Hayden. He's one of those guys when he knows he's on camera, the volume goes up a little bit and he gets Oh, is it. that right? Yeah. <laughs> I um and a piece of advice that I give to, that I give to would give to every jujitsu practitioner regardless of mm-hmm. belt rank is control your breathing. Uh, can, I think controlling your breathing will help you control your pacing of the match. And if you can control the pace, it's a lot easier to learn. Oh yeah. Right. Beautifully stated. If, um, what happens is guys are working, they're doing a physical activity. So they work hard, you work hard, your breathing starts to, (laughs) right. And now what happens is you have this, there's this mind body connection where when your body starts to get agitated, excited, however you want to describe it, your brain starts to share that kind of a state. And now your brain's like, oh shit, we're fighting. And you can't pick up on small details if you're in this fight mode, right? So you have to learn how to fight without fighting, if that makes sense. You have to learn how to um, breathe, like control your breathing, keep your breathing slow and even, right? Good. And if you ever realize that you're like starting to hyperventilate, stop whatever you're doing in the role, just hold position and like try to get that rate of breathing back down that'll slow everything else down that will often slow your partner down too because when you start slowing down oftentimes your partner will start slowing down in return and now you guys can really start doing jujitsu meaning you guys can pay attention to those small details now because you're going in a pace where you can process it and see what's happening and you can actually have time to think and be like oh and you can plan oh he's doing this and that's stopping me well what if i try moving my arm this way and then that's how you learn and get better, but just rinse and repeat for 17 years. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> yeah. Kind of controlling the, the rate of breathing is incredibly important for just for skill development in jujitsu in everything. I bet. And Probably. it's counter to like our, what would be like culturally normative or whatever. Go you think faster, like working go harder. Out, like I'm on my grind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I'm breathing heavy. I'm sweating hard. It's like, maybe you need to calm down and practice. Like maybe Depends you need your to goal. chill out, you know what I mean? Like, is this straight cardio for you or do you want to get better? Right. Because you're working hard on the cardio, but am I getting better, you know? That's killer advice. I like that. Mm, thank you. I appreciate that's That's how I got a... I think that's when my jiu-jitsu really started to take a, a turn, and I didn't really realize... I didn't figure that out till black belt. So if you're a white belt and you're getting this piece of advice and you can learn to implement it, you are 10 years ahead of me, <laughs> you know? They won't. You can't, you can't control your breathing with a white belt on. It's like not possible. Yeah, I think it depends on the, on the culture of the, sure. the gym, right? For sure. Yeah. That's um, so other things that I would do um, to, I guess, help along the same line to help this mindset. For example, as a black belt, I was getting into learning leg locks. Like I, I wasn't good at leg locks. I had, I knew like a heel hook and a, a straight angle lock, but I didn't really know how to control a position and manipulate everything. I didn't know all the ins and outs. So I remember there was a time when I was first going to learn leg locks. I learned how to get into Ashigarami reliably. 
And then my goal then was like, I'm not, I don't want to submit this person. I just want to see how long can I hold the leg? How long can I keep this leg entanglement? And with taking that pressure off of myself to submit, like, okay, I'm not even going to try. Not, I don't have that pressure. I don't have that like, oh, come on, Brandon, you got to do, do the next thing. I'm just like, let me just chill and see what they do. Let me just hang out in this position, feel how I can control it. How do I, what happens if I move my weight this way? What happens if I, if I post here? Um, what happens if I back heel or curl my legs in this way? And, and give yourself that freedom to not have to submit or not have to get to the end game, but give yourself the freedom of, or give, give yourself a task of, oh, I want to learn this position. Let me just see if I can hold this. Let me see if I can, okay, maybe I don't get an arm bar, but I want to work toward arm bar. Let me see if I can get their elbow away from their body. And I'm just going to see if, how long can I keep their elbow away from their body? Maybe I don't arm bar, but how long can I just hold this? Or an arm bar position would be another great example. How I'm not going to try to separate the arms, but how long can I keep this person stuck on their back? And, and as you get better at kind of playing these little games, um, which is really just getting back to the ecological approach. It's the ecological approach of learning. I just, you do it to yourself. Um, that helped me learn how to, okay, now I can be comfortable in an arm bar because I'm just sitting here. We've all had this experience, Matt, of we get to an arm bar and like, oh, this guy's working to get out. I'm not going to have this arm bar position for pretty long. I better get this arm straight and submit him before he gets out. And so you have this pressure to perform right now, the sense of urgency. If you can take away that sense of urgency, it's, it's so much easier. If I just get that arm bar and say, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight like hell to straighten the arm. I'm just going to, how long can I hold this guy in this position and, and how, and how relaxed can I stay while doing that? And it seems like the same kind of mental trick as the getting really good as early as possible at escapes. Cause there's no pressure when I'm in a tough spot cause I'm good at escapes. Yeah. So, and, and same sort of deal. If I, if I know I can, can, you know, control this position and I can hold his head to the floor and I've got one arm under his arm and I know I can sit here mm-hmm. in this spot, not taking the arm bar, but fundamentally having the arm bar yep. when, when it's ready to go, it'll go. Cause I can control us in this spot the whole time. It takes pressure off. Like you were saying, yeah. oh. You said, so when it's ready to go, go. What I would say is that mm-hmm. once you, okay, when you sit in that arm bar and you take your pressure off, you're going to be in that arm bar for a lot longer than you would be if you were giving up on the idea of control and rather focusing on trying to separate the arms and submit. If you focus on, oh, I've got to separate them and submit, there are going to be places where the control suffers and you're going to lose the position. And now you've only got 30 seconds of armbar training. 20 seconds or however long, but imagine if you could hold this guy down in f- for, for in an, in an armbar for five minutes and slowly with maybe like 10% effort, try to separate the arms. And when I say 10% effort, I mean like, I mean, you're not just laying straight back and pulling straight on the arm with everything you got. Rather, you're sitting there and 100% mental effort and like maybe 10 to 20% physical effort, just kind of playing around. And you can start to ramp that physical intensity up as you get better and better at controlling. But if you try to ramp that intensity up before you get good at controlling, you're going to lose the position. Yes. So learn, trust me, <laughs> learn to control the position for five minutes. Yeah. Now I'm going to start learning to separate the arms. And if things go back, I'm just going to stop trying to separate. I'm going to go back to control mm-hmm. because now I can I have a second shot at trying to take the arm out. Mm. 
right? So I can, I can go after this arm again and again and again, as long as I never lose the position. Right. Ties to the get good at retaining and keeping your guard too. Mm -hmm. I might not have swept you in the last four minutes, but I got another two minutes to work with because you're still in my guard. I'm in control. And you are nowhere near submitting me. I'm I'm comfortable. You're not, you're not cross facing me. I can breathe fine. I can control my breathing. You're not sitting on my, on my diaphragm. So taking away that sense sense of urgency and focusing on control and focusing on keeping your breathing rate under control, I think will help to slow things down and will help your mind uh, process. And and even and speaking of with your mind processing, even if you're not giving like a lot of physical effort, you should always be giving mental effort. You should always be thinking about okay, what's the you know how does this position feel? Is this strong? Is there any weaknesses to this? What should I be doing? What should I probably focus on next? How can I make this position better? Like the mind should always be asking these questions and finding solutions for them. I dig it. There's no better way to end this than that point, I don't think. So tell me the name of your school and where it is. Oh, this is the St. Paul Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy. And it's a, it's, it's right here where, where we are, Matt. You silly. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's uh, just across the river from downtown St. Paul off of like Highway 52 and Plato Boulevard. Pretty that close is. to the downtown St. Paul airport. The yeah. downtown airport, not the main one. Thanks, brother. Yeah, this is fun, Matt. Thanks for uh, coming out and doing this. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the Pohada Podcast. And hey, if you're a regular listener, head on over to the Pohada Podcast on Instagram, where amongst the ridiculous memes, you'll find a link to the merch shop and be able to keep up with the disorganized going-ons of the show. And hey, before you go, here's a little preview of an upcoming episode. So I left everything behind. I just wanted to restart. And getting here was really, really tough. Just like... I did not have enough money to for like to have a plane ticket from Mexico City to Minneapolis, so I bought a, a ticket from Mexico City to Chicago, and then I took a Greyhound to Minneapolis, <laughs> and then I had like a hundred bucks left in my pocket. That's it. That's all I had, man. That's all I had.